that. And I'm, I'm really excited about the passage today. It's one of my favorites, but I think it is one of the most important in all of Scripture in helping us see Jesus glorified, seeing the purpose of the gospel across time and space. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Luke 24. We're going to be in verses 13 to 35 this morning, often referred to as the road to Emmaus. So I'm just going to go ahead and read that and then pray for our time. Luke 24, 13 to 35 says this. Now, that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they did not find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at table with them that he took the bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray now and let's go to the Lord and ask him to show us amazing things this morning. And to change our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
for your word. We thank you that it is true that you have revealed yourself to us in scripture. Oh Lord, would you help us to see Jesus this morning, Jesus in your word this morning. Will we behold his glory? Lord, would you help us to worship as we look this morning? Would you change us? We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I didn't know I needed glasses until I was 14. I've since had a procedure where I don't, I don't wear them anymore. But back then, I needed them. I realized when I was 14 in a history class that I could, couldn't see the screen very well. I was sitting in the back of my classroom. And I had a friend next to me. And every time, he had his glasses out on his desk and didn't use them. Maybe I, he maybe thought he was too cool for them. He didn't want them. But I just asked one day, I said, hey, can I try those on? Well, sure. He, he did not want to wear them. So I put them on, and all of a sudden, I could read the board. I needed glasses. I just didn't know that yet. And so a few weeks passed. Every time in that class, I put them on. I could read the board, whatever the teacher was writing up there. I finally told my dad, who said, Michael, it sounds like you need glasses. So he got me a pair, and the amazing thing was, from that point on, I can now read the board in every class, but also, I wore them around my house. I wore them outside, and all of a sudden, there were things that I could see now that I didn't realize were a little blurry before I had glasses. There were colors, there were edges, there were textures and contours. All of a sudden, I didn't realize that over time they'd become fuzzy. But when I put the glasses on, wow, everything changed. I could see. And so I, I want us to consider this, that concept this morning as we look at Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has something profound to say to these two disciples who he meets. And he's going to show them things that they had yet to see. Because we see they they had yet to believe what the scriptures had said. He's going to walk them through the Old Testament. And along the way, he's going to show them every place that the scriptures point to him. Every place that he shows up. That the suffering and risen Christ was the center of all of the Bible, including the Old Testament. And so here's our main point today. Our big picture main point today is this. All of scripture points to our crucified, risen Savior. Let me say it one more time. All of scripture, that's Genesis to Revelation. All of scripture points to our crucified, risen Savior. And that is simple, yet it is so profound. We see pictures Prophecies, types, symbols. We see his character. All of the Bible pointing to God's plan of salvation in Jesus. And these jump off the pages of the Bible when we see them. All of scripture points to Jesus. That he was crucified. He was buried. He was raised from the grave. And friends, that's not just our New Testament. All the Old Testament points to Jesus as well. And so we're going to have two sub-points that I want us to think about in our passage this morning. The first is this. We believe in the centrality of Christ in the scriptures. 
Once again, it's simple, but we believe in the centrality of Christ in the scriptures. And the second point is this. We worship as we see the centrality of Christ in the scriptures. It brings us to worship. And so I want to begin with just some some context for the gospel of Luke. I know um, you guys had previously been, been preaching through some of that. And so just some reminders that Luke is writing this gospel to his friend Theophilus. And there's two books here. Luke is book number one, part one. And then Acts is book two, written by Luke. And so these, these accounts, some of these in the book of Acts, Luke was there. Some of these in the gospel, though, were eyewitnesses who reported these things to him, who saw the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, we see the gospel going to the ends of the earth, which is us. We see, eventually, we see that. And just a reminder, as we think about the resurrection, that if Jesus did not rise from the grave, none of what we're talking today would matter. So for our passage now, the context is immediately following the crucifixion, burial, and following the resurrection of Jesus. These two disciples don't realize that yet, as we see. And this is also the final part of a journey that Jesus goes on in Luke. In chapter 9 of Luke, we see that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, knowing that he would have to go to the cross. And from that point forward, he's on a journey to show his disciples what it means to follow him, what it means to die. It's also interesting that this is the only gospel that gives this account of these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it's long. This is a long narrative, even for the gospel of Luke. And so it seems like he is wanting us to walk this road with them, to understand what happened here. And so let's begin with point number one. We believe in the centrality of Christ in the scriptures. So let's walk with these two disciples for a little bit. If you look at verse 13, it starts by saying, That very day, well, that very day we know is Sunday. We look at the passage before, it's the day of the resurrection. Some of the women who were disciples had gone to the tomb and they found out that he wasn't there. We'll come back to that idea in a minute. But this is Easter. This is the center of the Christian calendar for us as Christians, right? Easter Yet for these two disciples, this is not yet a happy Easter. Not yet. The women had gone to the tomb and it was empty. There were angels there who said, Christ had risen, just like he told you he was going to. But there was confusion. His body was not there. Peter even ran to go see. And he was astounded, still confused as to what was happening. We'll come back to that idea. We'll, we'll see that show up several times in this passage. And then let's, let's talk real quick about this village of Emmaus. It says seven miles from Jerusalem in the text. It's about 11 kilometers. So it's a long walk. Not too long. Definitely do it in a day. A long walk to have a good conversation. But we don't really know much else about Emmaus. There's not a lot of archaeological evidence for that. Probably a small village. It would be a 90-minute walk. Maybe two hours if you're walking slow. So let's now look at verse 14. Verse 14 says they were having a conversation. They were talking about the things that had happened. So what things are these? One of those is from Friday. 
the crucifixion of Jesus. There were claims of resurrection that the tomb was empty now. But the, the fact the tomb was known. Joseph of Arimathea had taken the body and put him in the tomb. The women knew where it was. The disciples knew where it was. The tomb wasn't unknown. So th- these things they're talking about would have been shocking. That the Messiah himself was crucified and now he's missing. It, the body's gone. We see in this passage, they did not yet understand what was supposed to take place. Jesus was not the kind of king that they had had in mind. So they're walking on the road, right? Going back to Emmaus, having a conversation. And then if we look in the passage, a surprise guest shows up. We know that that's Jesus. They don't recognize him yet, though. They don't recognize him. And so this would have been a shock. There were many people that would have gone between Emmaus and Jerusalem, especially since many of the Jews had just gone for the Passover. So Jesus drew near and goes with them. And look at the text here. All right. Look at uh, verse 16. They were prevented, kept from recognizing him. Then you have to ask why. Was his resurrected body so dazzling that they couldn't look at him, that they were scared? I don't think we get that here. We see that they were prevented and kept. We don't, we're not told about their inability to recognize him. They knew what he looked like. They were his disciples. So they, they should have been able, in one sense, physically to recognize him. But they couldn't. They were not allowed to. They were prevented from it. So they also knew that Jesus was dead. He had been buried. They saw that. They were convinced in their mind that he was dead. So it's puzzling, isn't it? From this whole passage, it's possible, if not likely, that Jesus wanted them first to see him in the scriptures. So Jesus walks up to him. They don't recognize. He says, what are you talking about? What things? He knew. He knew what things. But think about this. This is probably the darkest moment of these disciples' lives. And Jesus meets them in that moment, showing his compassionate heart. And this is a hard question for them. Look at, look at the text here. He asked them this. And they're still, like I said, in shock. They were confused. How could he be crucified? That was Friday, and now they're on Sunday. Let's think about Saturday for a minute, okay? Friday was an awful day. Saturday was an awful day. You wake up Saturday and you realize Friday wasn't a dream. It wasn't a dream. This is real. Now, as Christians, we know the importance of Friday. If Friday on the cross doesn't happen, then our sins aren't paid for. But on this side of Easter, we're quick to jump to Sunday because we know the resurrection's coming. Amen. But on that first Saturday, he was still in the tomb. He was still dead. And friends, for us, apart from Jesus, we're still lamenting on that Saturday too. Apart, if Sunday doesn't come, we have no hope. And, we, and again, the women had gone to the tomb. They had, their Lord's gone. The one that they loved is gone. Who could have rolled this giant stone away? Did someone take the body? There's confusion. So as we think about these two disciples, there's a lot on their minds. Did someone take the body? Did someone roll the stone away? Were the women lying? Was it a hallucination? What is happening? 
and it's just day three. They are mentally, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. That pain is raw, and they don't know what has happened. They thought everything was crashing down around them, or so they thought. And so if we look here at the text, look at verse 18 with me. There's one of the disciples, Cleopas, answers. Now, we don't see his name anywhere else in Scripture. So why does Luke give us his name? These were eyewitnesses. If there was any doubt about the risen Christ, he could have said, go talk to Cleopas. He lives over there. He's still alive. He saw it. The names that Luke gives us in Acts are important too. They were the ones who saw, who witnessed, who established the church, right? Through the power of the Spirit. Imagine these two, this story, they probably never quit telling for the rest of their lives. And so Cleopas asked him, are you the only one to Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? How do you not know? There was a crucifixion on Friday. All these questions are going around. And so Jesus still asked them, what things? Tell me. He knows. Tell me. And so what does Cleopas say? Let's keep going in the text. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now look at this. He said he was a prophet, which is not false. But Jesus was far more than a prophet. We know he was God. But think about it. He cast out demons. He healed. He rebuked a storm. Who does that? God does that. He taught with authority. And I think what we're seeing here is they still did not see him truly as God. They were not seeing Jesus for who he was. What about you? Is Jesus just a good teacher to you? Is he maybe a moral example? Or is he God made flesh? And friends, that answering that question as Jesus as God makes all the difference. And then he says this, the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be crucified. He puts the blame at their feet. Now we know from scripture that Jesus laid down his life willingly for his sheep. We know that. That is true. But the chief priests, this was the Messiah and the chief priests gave him up. What happened? We also know that our sin was why Jesus willingly went to the cross. They thought that he was the one to redeem Israel, but they thought he was a political king. They would have been confused. How do you not know this, though, visitor? And friends, this can be the same for us. When you don't have a proper understanding of who Jesus is, the the Gospels don't really make sense. You can say, he was a good teacher, or he was just a prophet. Well, then why did he have to die? Doesn't make sense. But if he was not God, he also was blasphemous by claiming divinity. If we don't understand our sin, friends, if we, we can't understand Jesus rightly, we have difficulty making sense of this. Look, if you haven't trusted in Jesus by repenting of your sin and turning to him in faith, friend, maybe today is the day that you see him clearly and believe. What's interesting, the, the text takes a little bit of a turn here. Jesus, this visitor, what's happening? How do you not know this? Jesus then says something they probably weren't expecting when they approached him. He rebukes them. Look back at the passage with me. 
He calls them foolish and slow of heart to believe. Not just to believe Jesus. That seems implied. But you're slow of heart to believe the prophets of the Old Testament. They spoke of the Christ. They pointed forward to him. Your scriptures told you that he would suffer before entering into his glory. Right? And Cleopas uses the word redeem. Right? The only time in Luke it's repeatedly used in the Old Testament 150 times, the only time redeemed. They would have understood this. They would have understood that redemption costs something. It's buying something or someone back. But they didn't believe. But what's going to happen? If we look fast forward to book two, the book of Acts, these same disciples, apostles, willingly laid down their lives and suffer because they realized who Jesus is. They started to see him rightly and believe. had not understood Jesus in the scriptures yet. So Jesus interprets for them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. He points to it. So, and in his compassion, he gives them right here, this section, a Bible study for the ages. Sometimes we call this biblical theology. Looking at the Bible as one story. As Ben told us earlier, right? This is one story. Friends, you have 66 books Different authors, different time periods, different places. It's one story. It's one story. That God created all things perfectly. Yet in Genesis 3, sin entered as as Adam and Eve rebelled against his good rule. Which means every single one of us since Adam was born in sin. We have inherited that. We hate God. That's our natural disposition. And all creation was fractured because of that. You have disease. You have natural disaster. You have human depravity. Yet God progressively works through the rest of the Bible to redeem a people for himself. He preserves mankind through Noah. Then he makes a covenant, a promise with Abraham to bless all the families of the earth through his family, through Abraham's. Paul would tell us that that offspring to bless them is Jesus. Right? Then this covenant goes on to Isaac, who in Genesis 22, God provides a ram in place of Isaac. So I want to walk us through a couple more things here. Let's think about, let's walk through this with the disciples on the road. Maybe the things Jesus would have showed them. Right? That in Egypt, in Exodus, Israel was in slavery and they were led out by Moses. They were redeemed and God provided the perfect Passover lamb for them, which points forward to Jesus who covered the sins of his people by his own blood. God gave them the law. We see that in Leviticus through Deuteronomy. The law, a holy law, which is how, how you live in the presence of God. Also confronts them with their sin. He brings them in the land. Israel gives them judges who fail. He gives them kings who fail. One of these kings, David, he promises would have a son on the throne forever. That points to the Messiah, Jesus Yet, Israel continues to fail and to sin, to worship idols. So what does God do? He sends them into exile like he promised. First to Assyria, then to Babylon. Yet, he promises to restore them. A new covenant where they would have the spirit in them. Law written on their hearts. A heart of stone removed and he would give them a heart of flesh. That is the new covenant pointing to Jesus. And Jesus came to perfectly fulfill all of it. Every word of the Old Testament. 
Pastor David King has helpfully put it this way, that we as Christians now, we can read the Old Testament over Jesus' shoulder. That he would have fulfilled all of that, would have seen himself in there. Every part of the Old Testament, friends, points to Jesus. And that's what he's showing them on the road. So let's think about a couple different parts here. Like I said, Genesis 3.15. We, or Genesis 3, we see sin. But Genesis 3.15, sometimes we call the proto-evangelium, the first gospel. What does God promise? That evil have offspring who will crush the head of the serpent. There's already going to be a deliverer. That's Genesis 3.15. We mentioned Genesis 12, the covenant to Abraham. Then providing a ram for Isaac, the perfect Passover lamb. We, taught, we looked at that. Let's look at what the book of Acts quotes. If you want to see places in the Old Testament that point to Jesus, the New Testament authors reference them again and again and again. You'll see those in your Bible. Psalm 2 says this, right? This is quoted in the book of Acts. Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, the Messiah. Right? Psalm 16. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. That points to the resurrection. Right? So let's look at the prophets. Isaiah 7. Emmanuel. God with us. Isaiah 9. A child is born. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Isaiah 56. 50 verse 6. Let me read this. I gave my back to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. That's the Friday before the the crucifixion. Isaiah 61 verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. The servant to redeem God's people. Again and again and again. Even the Psalms that I know you've been looking at this summer point to him. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and Jesus is the good shepherd. Psalm 42 to 43. Jesus experiences for us the taunts of the psalmist's enemies. And that joy comes with victory. Psalm 78. Jesus did keep the covenant perfectly. All of the Old Testament, friends, points to Jesus. That he is the one to redeem God's people and restore what was lost in Eden. In summary, this is what we see. This is what we see Jesus pointing to. We need a better Adam. A better Isaac. A better Moses. A better David. A better priest. A better prophet. A better king. And Jesus fulfills all of those. He was the one to save Israel. He was. They're saying we thought he was. Cleopas says that. And he was. He is the true and better Israel. And friends, we know the gospel is not just for Israel. We know that it was for every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Thankfully, that applies to us. And that I know that's a lot. But it was necessary for them to see Jesus rightly, just as it is for us. Do you see Jesus in the Old Testament? seen the Bible truly as one story, one author, one main character. 
have you seen it as God, one story of God redeeming a sinful people for his own possession and glory? Look, I know if you haven't, I, I, I know your, your elders and, and staff would be happy to talk with you. I know there are books that, that we can give and provide to help you see that, but um, that's so important. And now this leads us to point number two. We worship. This is, this, when we see him, it's important because we worship as we see the centrality of Christ in the scriptures. Now, Jesus ends up staying with them, right? He's walking along the road. He points to them again and again and again where he shows up. Those 11 kilometers to Emmaus. Now, let's keep looking here, right? Starting in verse 28. He acts as if he's going to keep walking. And they say, Jesus, like, they don't know Jesus yet. It's night. It's dark. Just stay with us. Come stay with us. So he goes. He stays with them, which is providential. And he broke bread with them at dinner. I don't think we should see this as the Lord's Supper. But he does bless it and break it, which is interesting. Remember, they don't yet understand what has happened. But as he broke it, what happens? Their eyes are opened. It's interesting. This same Greek word for opening is also meant used, Luke uses it to reveal. That Jesus opened the minds of the disciples. Later in chapter 24, we see that in Acts 16. Remember, also written by Luke. Lydia has her eyes open to believe as she hears Paul teach the scripture. Acts 17, the Thessalonians have their eyes open to believe Paul as he teaches Jesus Christ from the scriptures. Seeing Jesus here was connected to seeing him in the Bible. That matters. Beholding his glory in the inspired word. And think about the breaking of the bread. Think about what this, for Christians, what that symbolizes, right? He said, wasn't the Messiah supposed to suffer? The breaking of the bread is, is a picture of that. We know in the Lord's Supper. And in that moment, they see him. They recognize him. And he was indeed risen. Everything is different now. We're not told exactly why. Was it possible that this meal, breaking the bread was familiar? Okay, maybe. It's possible. Maybe how he prayed. He probably started praying to his father. Maybe. I can't help but think that maybe as he stood to break that, they saw the scars. And they realized this was Jesus. We're not told. But we do know he, they knew he was alive. And friends, when we see the risen Christ, that does change everything. What's interesting here, he vanishes. Now, in his resurrected body and other gospels, we see him going through walls, going through doors. But no other comment there. And that wasn't the point. The point was that he was alive. Look at verse 32 with me. This is so key for us this morning. So important. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Their hearts burned when they saw Jesus in scripture. Friends, our hearts are supposed to do that too. We're supposed to be amazed at him as we gaze upon his glory in the word. And I know for me, I think that's true for most of us. When we see him in the Bible, you can't unsee that when it's so clear striking, unmistakable, and that causes us to worship. That changes us. 
Jesus, his redeeming work to the glory of God, that is the white, hot, blazing center of Scripture. And in fact, that is the blazing center of all of human history. Jesus suffering for his people. When we see Jesus that way, rightly, it causes us to see everything else in our lives. Rightly. He's the center, which means we are not. Everything we do is an allegiance to our risen king who suffered in our place. Every thought we have should be captive to him. Every action we do should be to his glory. And everything we say should be to his glory. And look at what happens. Look at how they respond. They rose that same hour. Remember, it was night. They just told this visitor, it's dangerous. Come in and stay. And you know what? They jump and run back to Jerusalem at night. Let's consider this, right? We haven't seen the risen Christ with our own eyes. But it's helpful for us, right? That we can see him, though, in the scriptures. We have that benefit, too, and that's enough. And they ran back to Jerusalem in the middle of the night. It was dark. It was dark, yet they had never seen more clearly. Because they saw Jesus in the scriptures and they knew that he was alive. Beholding the suffering of resurrected Christ does change everything. So friends, as we close, let's consider the point about the glasses again. My poor sight didn't come suddenly, although it can I didn't realize what I wasn't able to see. And it was not until it was brought to my attention that I understood what had been missing. Seeing Jesus in the scriptures changes us, especially in the Old Testament, because he's the point. All the scripture points to the crucified and risen Christ. And we believe that all scripture points to him. We see glimpses of Jesus Shadows his character on every page of the Bible. Seeing Jesus as a center of Scripture is something we can't unsee. It's clear. And we're changed by his word. That's why we see that there in that passage. We're also changed by his word. We are conformed more to his image. And we seek to honor with our lives, worship. Friends, we're changed by seeing, by beholding his glory. And that is good news. That is good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for helping us see Jesus in the scriptures. We pray that we would see more of him in the scriptures. We thank you for letting us behold his glory this morning. Lord, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear, hearts to believe? Or by your spirit and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you change us? Would you shape us? Help us to see him. We need you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.